This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So we talked about the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and that was in the context of personally receiving uh, the Holy Spirit. How does the church receive the Holy Spirit? I believe that actually in two places, in Acts chapter 2, and in a quotation from Acts of the Apostles, we see some very important conditions for the church to corporately. Do you, do you all understand when I use the word corporately what I'm saying? The first and important step is that, number one, we as individuals need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We each need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, And we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But the reason that we see such a lack of success in the church is because the church, and by the way, when I say the church, it's easier for us to go, the church, the church is filled with people who lack the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay? And so, that is, uh, that is the issue. So, but then the church corporately, because we move as individuals, but we are to move as individuals who have been entwined together as the church, the corporate body. So, Right, go to Acts chapter 1. And put your finger in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1... We see that we've already studied verse through verse 8. The disciples are promised the Holy Spirit, and then what happens immediately after that? In verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has taken you up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. Luke 24. And I'm going to move through this rather quickly because we need to get to, because we're, we're finishing how to receive the Holy Spirit, bridging it into what are the results. In Luke 24, we see that the disciples, after they are led out in verse 52, that they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why are they joyous? Because, remember, the disciples were concerned about Jesus departing, but now it says they're filled with great joy. Why are they filled with great joy? Because the angel has just told them, hey, he left, but he's coming back. And so corporately, the first principle of receiving the corporate outpouring of the Holy Spirit is hope and joy in what? The second coming of Jesus. And we're going to see in just a moment from the results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the promise of the Holy Spirit 
is given in the whole context of the second coming. So when the church has true hope, true joy in the second coming, it is one of the first principles in receiving the corporate outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some people will say, but we're Seventh-day Adventists. Just remember, we need to do more than talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. Okay? Number two. Number two. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. So they see Jesus ascend. Then what do they do next? They return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room and they were staying where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And then the Bible also goes on to talk about how they worshipped in the temple continually. So there is this, this, we've given several of them, There is one accord among God's church. Okay, and I and I need to be very quick on this. I preached an entire sermon. If you want to hear the sermon on this, you can go to HagerstownAdventist.org. All of my sermons are archived there. And the title of this sermon was The Upper Room. One accord. The the Greek word for one accord is is of like-mindedness, of unanimity. Now, there has been great controversy in the church lately about this idea of being unanimous. That's biblical. The church is called to be of one accord. Does the church ever in the book of Acts have disagreements? Yes, they do. And what did they do? They came together corporately and settled those issues. In Acts chapter 15... Remember, there's an issue about Gentiles coming into the church. What are we to do with these Gentiles? There's this, that, and everything else. The church gathers at Jerusalem, which, and I'm not trying to be blasphemous by saying it, but Jerusalem is the silver spring of the first century. They they gather at the general conference headquarters, and they settle the issue corporately. It is when the church comes to one accord, when we truly love one another, when we truly respect one another, even though we may come with differences. And by the way, not only did the early church have differences, did the early Adventist church have differences? And what did they do? They settled it with, and by the way, this is what we just read, with prayer and supplication. And study. The other night, the presenter talked about the scourge of politics. And I want to be very careful in what I say, but I'm going to tell you this. One of the most challenging things you can ever do for your faith in your life is to go to work for the church. Why? Because you find out that the church is not perfect. Okay, so are we all clear on that? We need to be okay on that. The reason the church is not perfect is because imperfect people are running it. The whole hope of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus would truly be the head of the church 
and we would follow in his will. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. So prayer and supplication. When we have disagreements, instead of politicizing, and for those of you who have ever been on a church board, and I happen to have chaired several church boards, what often happens? There's the meeting before the meeting, there's the meeting, and then there's the meeting after the meeting. In the parking lot. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. You've had this happen to you before. Okay, now, by the way, I'm not being cynical or sarcastic. I'm saying, what would happen in our churches if we had a disagreement? What would happen in our churches where some brother, some sister comes and says, hey, listen, this is my new view of, choose the topic, the Holy Spirit, the 1,335 days, the 1,290 days. What would happen if we came together and we said, let's study? Study like the early pioneers of our church who, by the way, oftentimes stayed awake all night. Now, listen, I, 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 I don't know about you. Maybe you have. I have, yeah, yeah. Just remember, Joseph Bates, who was 50 years old, was with all those youngsters. So, so, which is, by the way, by the way, GYC, the generation of youth for Christ. The beauty of the gathering of our church is, it was James and Ellen White who were borderline teenagers, 20s. And Joseph Bates, who was the, the old man, he was 50. And for any of you, those that are over 50, I, don't, I say that a little in jest. But the old and the young came together. Amen. I've said this many times. We need to be very clear. In heaven, there's not going to be a youth service and an adult service. There's not going to be an Asian church and a Korean church and an American church and a black church. Amen. There will be the church. And if we can't learn how to be the church on earth, I don't mean to step on any toes. We will not. Not we might not. We will not be the church in heaven. Okay? What would happen in our churches if we came together and we did that? What would happen if we had a disagreement and we said, you know what? We're starting study. We're coming together on Sunday at our church. We need to settle this. And we're going to lay out all the texts. I'm not coming with an agenda. And by the way, when we study... What are we called to study? We're called to study the scriptures. Not somebody else. And now listen, I have a deep appreciation for Stephen Bohr, Doug Batchelor, Mark Finley. I mentored under Mark Finley. But the Bible doesn't say that I will be saved through my study and understanding of the writings of Mark Finley. I will be, I will be saved by Jesus Christ So what would happen in disagreements if we came together and we took our Bibles, we opened our Bibles, and in prayer and supplication, we studied. And then at the end of our study, we did just like the early pioneers of the Adventist church. Not only do we then come to an understanding, but then we open up the spirit of prophecy and receive confirmation from the Holy Spirit that our study was in fact fruitful. That's how it worked. Anybody, by the way, that tells you that Ellen White is the author of all of our doctrines, they are absolutely 100% historically incorrect. Ellen White never served as an initiator of doctrine. Ellen White, and by the way, Ellen White received the gift of prophecy. And who is the giver of the gift of prophecy? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in her not to be an initiator of doctrine, but to be a confirmer of doctrine. So, what are the conditions of the church receiving corporately the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You have, the, you have hope and joy in the second coming. You have one accord. You have prayer and supplication. And, 
It talks about being in the temple. And then it goes on to say that they preached. And where did they preach? They preached everywhere. We can spend so much time in our life studying that we never do anything with it. And I don't know, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little vulnerable with you. I'm going to tell you a little bit of my personal story. I've been a Seventh-day Adventist since 1995. I came to an understanding of the health message in 1997. And it wasn't until two years ago that the Lord got, and I've heard the health message over and over again. The Lord got a hold of me and said, Chris, you got to practice what you preach. I give no glory to me, but through the working of the, because somebody asked me this, what's different this time? Through the working of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to lose 55 pounds. I'm a work in progress still, but what's the point of this? What would happen if the Spirit got a hold of the individuals in our churches? We all had a hope and joy of the second coming. And by the way, that hope and joy in the second coming is manifested in how we live our lives. Okay? How do we live our lives? There was one accord in the church. We talked about this. And I, and I talk about this in the church sometimes. I always find it interesting. The pastor preaches the sermon, and then everybody eats him for lunch. You ever been a part of one of those conversations? Or maybe you didn't have... And what happens is maybe the pastor wasn't even the main course. Maybe the woman who was wearing a short dress or a low-cut dress, or the girl who came in with jewelry. That's not one accord. See, John 13, 35 is the most specific example. Jesus says, this is how you will know that they are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Can you love someone without condoning their behavior? Absolutely. And what the Lord will do as we pray the prayer of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and truly loving one another, He's going to test this. Because there's going to be people that come to our church that don't look right. They don't smell right. They don't act right. They don't live right. And God's calling us to love them. God's calling us to love them. This happened just a couple of months ago. I baptized a man who's a member of the Christian Motorcycle Association. A bunch of his buddies came for the baptism. You ever seen what the Christian Motorcycle Association guys look like? They don't, they, don't, they, they don't come to church in a suit and tie. They come to church in blue jeans and their black leather vest that says Christian Motorcycle Association because they want people to know who they are. So as I came out of my office, as I finished teaching Sabbath school, I came into the lobby and they're all there. And I could sense there was this great tension in the room. And I pulled aside our deacon and I said, listen, everything's okay. Everything's okay. And in talking with these men afterwards, I said, listen. And the guy, in almost in an ashamed way, said, listen. I know we don't come looking like we should be in church. I said, brother, you come to church any way you want. You just need to be here. Okay? Sometimes we want to make detergented, cleaned up Christians. Think about when you first came to the Lord. I know there are things that I did 17 years ago that I don't do anymore today. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. Just remember that. You aren't the Holy Spirit. I learned this a long time ago. 
early in my ministry. I know I have another pastor friend here, and there might be other pastors, Pastor Michael from Pioneer Memorial Church. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. We are to present the message in a kind and loving way. Okay, so these are all from Acts. Let me go one, uh, I could go on for a long time, but now let me read to you. Let me read to you. This is from Acts of the Apostles, page 36. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you, and you're going to see many of these show up, but you get the same idea. Conditions in the church that existed for the outpouring of the Pentecost, the early reign. And by the way, the lesson of the early reign is the same things will be happening in the church to receive the latter reign. Here's what it says in Acts of the Apostles, starting on page 35, actually. In obedience to Christ's command, they waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Spirit. They did not wait in idleness. The record says that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Number one. It's not number one up there, but I put this in biblical order. This is now the spirit of prophecy. They also met together to present their requests to the Father in the name of Jesus. They prayed. They knew that they had a representative in heaven, an advocate at the throne of God. In solemn awe, they bowed in prayer, repeating the assurance, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Higher and still higher, they extended the hand of faith. That the mighty, excuse me, higher and still higher, they extended the hand of faith. With the mighty argument, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who is also making intercession for us. So now here's the third principle. As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. How do individuals receive the Holy Spirit? Repentance, confession or conversion, and belief. So, and by the way, and we saw this in the last session, is this happening in them as individuals? Yes, because 40 days previous, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, they were fighting about who would sit at the right hand and the left hand. And now the Bible says they're in one accord. There has been personal transformation. Too often we talk about the subject of the Holy Spirit, we're looking for, we want transformation. And Jesus is saying, he wants transformation in me. Because in transformation in me leads to transformation in the church. I don't know who said this, so I'm stealing a quote from someone. If you don't like the church you go to, then change it. Not by changing your membership. Change it. And don't change it by standing up and making a big ruckus. Change it by prayer and supplication by the own conversion of your heart, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and through your conversion, make a difference amongst the congregation. I'm going to skip down here because we need to get into the results of the Holy Spirit. I'm skipping a few lines. This is all Acts of the Apostles, page 35 to 37. There's a whole chapter about the Holy Spirit. It says, as they meditated upon his pure holy life, they felt that no toil would be too hard, no sacrifice too great, if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. Individuals, why? We are, we repent, we converted, we believe, 
We receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses. God wants to change us. It's about the individual. Then through the individual being changed, we now go out and change the church and the world. Okay? Number five, putting away all differences, all desire for supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. One accord. Number six, the days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for their work of soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. We've talked about all of that. And then number seven, now in obedience to the word of the Savior, The disciples offered their supplications for this gift. And in heaven, Christ added his intercession. Okay? That is corporately. How do we receive the Holy Spirit corporately? Number one, by individuals being transformed. The church coming together in hope and joy of the second coming. And by the way, there are things happening at the corporate level of the church. The recent general conference initiatives of revival and reformation, 777, putting the great controversy or the great hope into every home. I'm going to just tell you, in in the Hagerstown Church, we made a commitment. We have 38,000 homes in our territory. And we made a commitment to put one book in every home. And by the way, we were not going to have the mailman be our literature evangelist. We were going to go door to door. And I learned this not of something of me, but we have a bunch of uh, guys who work for HHES. Do I have any literature evangelists here? Okay, there we go. All right. So... H-H-E-S at the Review and Herald. I'm from Hagerstown, and so the Review and Herald is right there. And so, so the, the literature evangelists, a bunch of them from, from Brazil. And those Brazilians, they're radical. So I learned this from them. In Brazil, several years ago, they were preparing for Mark Finley to come and do a series of meetings. And they took one day, and they canceled church. No Sabbath school, no church service. We're coming together to do the work and go take out literature. And this happened in Brazil. In one day, they distributed 8.5 million copies of Mark Finley's book, When God Said Remember. Now, that was in Brazil. The church is growing by leaps and bounds, and anybody from Brazil, intense. So in Hagerstown, I said, well, let's, I mean, if they don't like it, then I guess I'll be pastoring somewhere else, you know. And so we canceled church and we gathered at 10 o'clock we said let's go and distribute and folks our normal attendance is about 300 350 we had 200 people i was a little i was a little disappointed but i said you know what i've never been in a church where 200 people came to pass out literature Amen. we had cars we had maps and we had sack lunches and off they went and we distributed 8,000 books in one day this is no glory to God, but what I'm saying is what would happen in our churches if we reordered ourselves in true hope and joy of the second coming? Amen. See, what we have equated success within the church is we have equated attendance with success. We inherited that message from outside the church. Success biblically is not attendance. Success b- biblically is the transformation of individuals. What happens if the church corporately says, we're giving it all up. We're, we are committing ourselves 100% 
to finishing the work of God because we have individuals who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and prepare for the second coming. We're going to come together in one accord. We're going to settle our differences corporately. We're not going to splinter off as individuals and make our own decisions and rebel and do these kinds of things. No, we'll come together and as a body of believers, we will come together and settle our differences. What would happen if that happened? Through prayer, supplication, spending time meditating on God's word. And then to make a commitment. And again, corporately, at the general conference level, the commitment. You all know what's happening in New York City? 200 evangelistic series all at one time. I had the privilege before I became the, Hagerstown, the, church, the pastor of the Hagerstown Church. I coordinated meetings with Mark Finley in Chicago and we had 34 live evangelistic series all at once. And I can tell you, that was overwhelming. They're doing over 200. And I actually, I just think I recently heard a number that it's reached over 300 evangelists. And by the way, evangelistic series aren't going to finish the work. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. But it is a commitment to preaching the gospel everywhere. What would happen? You know, and, and I'm going to talk about things I don't even know, Okay. I'm not big into the social media thing, and I, even though I'm a young guy, but my associate pastor, he got me on Twitter, and so I'm on Twitter, and, he, and I don't even know the difference, but I don't, I don't have a profile on Facebook. I have a page. Is that, does that sound right? Am I saying it right? I have absolutely no idea, but that's what it supposedly is, and I type things in, and there it is. Um, but what would happen is if people got committed in social media to spreading the gospel message, what would happen if churches started purchasing Roku channels in which they would broadcast the gospel message? Folks, at our church, I mean, we don't have any complicated system, but we live stream our church service every Sabbath. And it's a fascinating thing. We did, we did an evangelistic series just recently, and we had about 100 people in attendance every night. But every night we had almost 20 people on the Internet. That's a 20% increase in our attendance. Folks, we have no, and now it's all archived online. We have no idea the reach, but what would happen? It is when these things happen that the special endowment of the latter reign, which is transformational in individuals, will now go and transform that the church will proceed with power. I don't know which one of the preachers, which uh, one of the preachers in the plenary sessions was talking about how we're baptizing 3,000 a day, but the world is growing by 200,000. And when you think about that, you're just like, Lord, how are we going to finish the work? But just remember the early church. And I'm going to go in reverse. There are personal results of the Holy Spirit. I'll go in reverse. What were the corporate results of the Holy Spirit? The corporate results of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm actually going to begin with what I was going to end with, and I'll end with what I was going to begin with, if that makes sense. So, what happened corporately as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What happens corporately to the church? Acts chapter 2. And notice what it says that primarily, I'm going to talk about numbers, but Acts chapter 2 Notice what it says in verses 41 to 47. Then those who glad, this is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, so if you're ever worried about the Holy Spirit being on us, Pentecost happens every day in the Adventist church. Because 3,000 souls are added every single day. But God has greater things. Because remember, how large was the church at that time? 
Well, it was 120. They had 120 in the upper room. So the church went from 120 to 3,000. Now, Wayne, you were talking to me. I think your church is about 120 people. Could you have 30? 30. Somebody go to a church with 100, about 100 in attendance. What would happen tomorrow? That all of a sudden the church now has 3,000. See, it's exciting. See, too many times in the Adventist church we get hooked on the negative. We go to last day events and people talk about it. The shaking is happening. You got to turn the page. Because the, Ellen White says there will be a great shaking. And many will be shaken out. By the way, nobody will be shaken out who has the Holy Spirit. The true Holy Spirit. But we got to turn the page. What does it say after that? Then their places will be filled by those coming out of Babylon into the church. So folks, we got to get ready. we got to get ready in the steps that the Bible lays forth. And what's going to happen? Then people, those who gladly received the word, so they gladly received the word, that day was added about 3,000. And what did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So the church corporately has the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it transforms individuals who are in the church. So the first and foremost is this this spiritual transformation of the church. And notice then it goes on. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit corporately, first and foremost, transforms the church spiritually. But now what are the results of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to come back to that spiritual, what's happening in the individuals. But what happens in the church corporately? The end of that passage says, And the Lord added to the church, how often? Now listen, I don't know about your church. We don't have baptisms at our church every day. We have baptisms probably a couple of times a quarter. I think last year the Hagerstown Church, we baptized 16 or 17 people, and praise the Lord for that. But if we were being added to daily, that means our baptism count would be at least 365 people. Right? So the church is having some amazing things happening. The Lord is adding to them daily. Acts, that's in Acts 2.47. Now, skip over to Acts chapter 5.14. What happens in Acts 5.14? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So, they were being added. Now they're being increasingly added. In fact... To describe how increasingly it was, he describes them as multitudes. So now the Lord goes from adding daily to increasingly adding multitudes daily to now Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. What does it say? Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Now I need to tell you, when you go from addition to multiplication, is when things are happening. But see, and then in Acts 6-7, again, it says, just in case we were confused, 
It says, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied. multiplied. But it doesn't multiply. It multiplied greatly. greatly. So notice the progression. Added. Increasingly added. Multiplied. Multiplied greatly. But the Bible's not done yet with the results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And for those of you who Yes, ma'am. Acts it's Acts 2:47, Acts 5:14, Acts 6:1, Acts 6:7, and now Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Now, I need you to be grammarians here. For those of you who don't like grammar, that's okay. I don't like grammar either. But notice what it says. Then the what? Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, they. Now we need to stop there. Who is the they referring to? Yeah, you got to go further back. The churches. They were being what? Multiplied. Notice the progression. God adds to their number. He's adding individuals. He's increasingly adding individuals. He's now multiplying individuals. He is multiplying greatly individuals. He's multiplying churches. See, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we won't be talking about 3,000 per day being baptized in the church. Okay? Now, by the way, some of this is already happening. Go talk to... In fact, I was on the elevator with someone. They worked for... They are working for, uh, for Maranatha in India. And these folks are working in Maranatha. And just the group he was working with in India, in six months, they built 50 churches. And my understanding is if we built, uh, if, I think it's 100 churches a month in India, we would not be able to keep up with the number of believers being added daily in India. So this, these things are happening. But the Lord, and, and by the way, it's very interesting. Trace the history of where Christianity went. Christianity went from the Middle East into Europe, and from Europe into the United States. And I know, if you're a historian, don't argue with me, but the point I'm making is, the two great birthplaces of Christianity are Europe and the United States. The two most secular places in the world now are Europe and the United States. The divisions that are growing the least in the Seventh-day Adventist Church are Europe and the United States. I could go on, but the point is very clear. I believe in our secularized state of the church in Europe and the United States, we have lost our priorities on what God is trying to do in the church. Okay? So that's the corporate progression. So now, what are the results of the Holy Spirit? For those of you who missed the first two sessions, I, I want to be very clear. The Holy Spirit, the very purpose of the Holy Spirit is clearly. 
The Holy Spirit wants us to become witnesses. That is in Acts 1.8. It is the Greek word martus. It is from where we get the English word martyr. It is also translated in the New Testament as testimony. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for you to be witness, excuse me, witnessing. It's for you to become a witness. And through your witness, then you will be witnessing. The power of the Holy Spirit is to change you as an individual. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Acts 2, 37 to 39 make it very simple. Repent. Be converted. And believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe on Him. And then in receiving that Holy Spirit, and that is a daily experience. We receive, if we've repented, where we've seen the sinfulness of sin, we have been converted and been baptized, and we believe we have received the Holy Spirit. That is the promise of the Scripture and the Spirit of prophecy. How often do we need to do this? Daily. Daily. The Bible uses several terms. The infilling, the filling, the baptism, the indwelling, so on and so forth. All of those terms are used interchangeably in the Scripture and in the Spirit of Prophecy. The point of all of this is, we have made this whole situation very complicated, and it's actually quite simple. God longs for us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit through people being repentant, converted, and believing. What are the results of the Holy Spirit? The results of the Holy Spirit, we're going to go back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. What are the results of the Holy Spirit on a personal basis? What time am I supposed to end? What's? Ten tell? That sounds, is that right? Ten tell? Okay. Wonderful. We got 20 minutes to do which should take me about an hour. So that's wonderful. John, that means I just have to talk fast. Uh, John chapter 13, okay? Context of the promise of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 13, what's, what's the event? What happens there? It's the, upper, it's, it's the upper room, the Last Supper experience with Jesus. It's the washing of the feet, okay? I don't have time to read this to you to give you the context, but this afternoon, go read The Desire of Ages, page 643. Ellen White paints a picture of what's happening in the upper room. They've come to the upper room for the Last Supper, and they're sitting there, and there normally would be a servant to wash the feet of everybody, but the servant wasn't there. So as they all sat around, they all saw the basin. Every last one of them saw the basin. And each one of them said, I'm not doing it. And then Jesus, in a rebuke, and Ellen White makes it clear, it's at that moment, that all of their hearts begin to be converted. Jesus humbles himself and washes all their feet. And by the way, who did Jesus wash the feet of that is quite unexpected? He washes the feet of Judas. What's the point? Folks, be very careful about trying to chase people out of your church who don't agree with you, who may even be a little unscriptural. Jesus tried to, in fact, Ellen White is quite clear, and tell Judas walked out of the upper room, he had every opportunity to repent and be reseated amongst the 12 disciples. Okay? So, be very careful. So, what's happening? So, this is the context. The context is the upper room experience. 
And then in John 13, 38, okay, after Peter makes this proclamation, beginning in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. And then Jesus, in very somber words, says, Will you lay down your life for me, for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Can you imagine the devastation that Peter felt? Folks, we have to remember the chapter and verse, chapter and verse divisions don't happen until the 13th century A.D. What are the very next words of Jesus in John chapter? Okay? We quote often, let not your heart be troubled. Why is Jesus saying that? Because he has just told his disciples, I'm going to die I'm leaving you, and oh, by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Probably not the most encouraging sermon you've ever been a part of. And so now Jesus, now he leaves him with encouragement. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I need to take, for those of you who, are, who like words, I need to take just a little side note. I will come again. What tense is that in, in English? I will, 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 future. Future. But in Greek, it's in present. In Greek, they do something with, called syntax. I don't have entire time to give you a lesson on Greek. But what this is, is a device used by John called a futuristic present. And it was used specifically to demonstrate the surety of an event happening. It was so sure that it was written as if it had already happened. Does that make sense to you? That's not to say that Jesus is coming happened then. That's to say... That the surety of Jesus' coming was written by John in a futuristic present to demonstrate the assurance that it will happen. This is not a plausibility. This is not a possibility. This is a reality. Does that make sense? It is in that context then, the, co- the reality of the second coming of Jesus, that now the Holy Spirit promise comes. Notice, we skip down in John 14 and in verse 15. By the way, the Holy Spirit promise is for God's last day remnant. Because notice the verse that comes in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And. That is the Greek word kai. Which can also be translated but, even, also. So let's use the word also. If you keep my commandments, also. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. See, the, the point I'm making here is the Holy Spirit promise is for God's remnant people. If we're not commandment keepers, we are not truly experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Very clear from this verse. Do you understand what I'm saying? We cannot truly experience the full expression and outpouring of the Holy Spirit unless we are part of God's commandment keeping people. And he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. 
that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So Jesus promises, Jesus promises a helper. This word helper in the Greek is the word parakletos. One who is beneficial, one who is going to help. Okay? John is the only one who uses this word parakletos to describe the Holy Spirit. He also uses it in one other place. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. This, the word advocate is the word parakletos. See, Jesus is advocating for us with the Father. He has, spent, he has sent the Spirit to advocate with us, with Him. The Spirit is an advocate on our behalf. And now what is the results in the personal life of the Spirit entering? We skip over to John 16. And by the way, if we were to do this justice, this study justice, we would be here for hours at a time because after John chapter 14 comes John chapter 15, where Jesus has just promised the Holy Spirit, and now he goes into his discussion on the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay? With me, you can do. Without me, you can do nothing. So without the Holy Spirit, that's the point he's making. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything. And then in John 16 now, he comes to the work of the Holy Spirit and what happens in the personal life. John 16, 5, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then we're going to go through what happens in the personal life. Jesus says, that the arrival of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, is to our advantage. It's to our advantage that Jesus would leave. Why does he say this? Why is it to the advantage of the disciples that Jesus leaves? That word advantage, by the way, in the Greek, literally means usefulness and beneficial. Jesus says, it's more useful to you that I leave. How so? See, The death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus were important events in the outworking of the plan of salvation. However, without these, the era of the Spirit would not have become a reality. His departure, the departure of Jesus, was to the profit and advantage of the disciples. Because Jesus in his incarnate body could not be everywhere at the same time. See, we talk about and we use big words. It is the word Omni-presence. When Jesus came to this earth, Jesus could be with a few people. He could be with his 12 disciples. He could be with the 70. He was able to be with the great multitude. But at some point, the number of people that he can be with is limited. And so Jesus now tells his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is... 
omnipresent. And so the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at the same time. Now, how does that work? Well, let me, I'm gonna, I, I didn't start with this quote, but just let me. That was actually a quote from the, from the uh, I'll, I'll give you another quote. That quote was from the, um, yeah, that, exactly that, the commentary. But I have a quote from Ellen White here in just a second. But how is the Holy Spirit everywhere at the same time? Let me just read a quote for you. Acts of the Apostles, page 51, just so we're all clear. It is not essential for us to be able to define just what the Holy Spirit is. Christ tells us that the Spirit is the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, which proceedeth from the Father. It is plainly declared regarding the Holy Spirit that in His work of guiding men into all truth, He shall not speak of Himself. Okay? Just because I don't understand how this works does not make it a reality. I'm not an elect... I don't know if I said that right. Just because I don't understand this doesn't mean that it is false. Even though I don't understand it, the Bible is quite clear that it is true. The Holy Spirit is everywhere at the same time. I'm not an electrician. Okay? But I know when I flip the switch, the light should come on. Can I describe how? No. So... If I can't describe how, does that mean I'm going to stop using lights? I mean, how ridiculous would that be? I mean, I'm not a mechanic, but I know when I turn the key, the car should start. I do know when the car does not start, it is not doing what it should do. Okay? Just because I don't understand how a car works, does that mean I will stop using a car? No. The Holy Spirit, how does this work? I don't know. But the Bible says it's so, so by faith I believe it. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Now, let me get back to where I was here. It was to your advantage. It is to your advantage that I go. Desire of Ages, page 669. The Holy Spirit is Christ's representative, but divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof. Cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Therefore, it was for, the inter- for their interest that he should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be his successor on earth. No one could then have any advantage because of his location or personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them than if he, than if he had not ascended on high. Okay? All right, so what's the work of the Spirit? In the last few moments that we have together, I've got five minutes to do, okay? Verse 8 of John 16. And when He has come, so what is the work of the Spirit? What are the results of the Spirit in the life? When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is John chapter 16, verse 8. So what is the role? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? How does the power of the Holy Spirit make us a witness for Him? Convicts us of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. Let's, let's go through these very quickly. Sin. What is sin? According to 1 John 4.3, sin is the transgression of the law. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, I would have not known sin except by the law. law. 
So the Holy Spirit uses the law to bring us to an understanding that Romans 3.23 explains. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care if you grew up in the church. I don't care if your father was a pastor. I don't care if your father was the general conference president. I don't care any of those things. If your mom is the beginner Sabbath school teacher. The Bible is quite clear, and it doesn't matter how good you think you may are. How good you may think you are. Excuse me. The Bible is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 makes it quite clear. The wages of sin is death. The Holy Spirit utilizes the law by writing the law on our heart to convict us of sin. Sin being wrongdoing, transgression of God's law. Romans 3, excuse me, Acts of the Apostles, page 52. To the repentant sinner hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the Holy Spirit reveals the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Christ said, if, excuse me, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. The Holy Spirit works to convict us of sin in our life. But the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us hanging there merely saying, okay, this is what's wrong with you. But now the Holy Spirit says that it will convict us of all righteousness. The word righteousness is simply a big word for right doing. Okay? I wanted to spend a lot more time on this, but there has been much conversation in our church today about righteousness by faith. We just need to have righteousness by faith. We just need to do it. Folks, the Holy Spirit is the only one who will convict you of righteousness by faith. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we will not understand the righteousness of Christ. The reality of the righteousness of Christ is that not only does the Spirit expose our sin, He convicts us of what we should be doing. And He both imputes and imparts righteousness. What does Romans 10.3 say? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted it to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That word end there by the word is the Greek word teleo, which means the goal. Christ is the goal. Christ is the one who fulfills and demonstrates the law to us. So he imputes his righteousness. So we have his righteousness, but then after he imputes it, he then imparts it to us and gives us the strength that we would live righteous lives. Notice from Steps to Christ, it's, it's, it's a passage that I love and sometimes difficult to understand. Steps to Christ 64. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. So what, what, what's it, what is it telling us? The Bible describes the law as a mirror. There is a mirror on that wall and I'm standing over here. See, I look in the mirror and I say, I look all right. But what happens? 
as the closer I get to the mirror. You begin, oh, oh, hey, I've got, oh, I don't have as much hair as I thought I did. And you understand, you get closer and closer, you know, and, and what, do we, what do we do? You know, we're, we, we, you, we got some, oh, what is this on my face? And we do the, the law. And, and so as we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts us of wrongdoing. And by the way, how often is this happening? Every day, hopefully moment by moment. And then not only convicting us of righteousness, but convicting us of what? Judgment to come. And in the last 30 seconds, in the last 30 seconds, the three angels' message is all about the judgment to come. The Holy Spirit convicts us of wrong, shows us what's right, and tells us that there's judgment coming. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. And the Holy Spirit was given in the context of the second coming of Jesus. And so, folks, when we read the three angels' messages, we need to be very careful. We are not called to righteousness by stubbornness. We are called to righteousness by faith, which is convicted of in us by the power of the Holy Spirit who moves in us. I didn't read these passages yesterday, but Jeremiah says, can a, can a leopard change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin? No. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Folks, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit promise was given to make us witnesses for Him. Given power to be witnesses through convicting us of sin showing us what's right and demonstrating to us that God is, Jesus is coming soon and he is judging us now. So we need to be ready and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be ready for when he comes again. There is so much more we could cover. We'll, we will cover three hours more, but we're moving now into... False manifestations. of this. We're going to talk about the Spirit in the last days in our next session. And then our last two sessions, we'll talk about false manifestations of the Spirit and how to protect ourselves from those false manifestations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are thankful. And Lord, we want to follow you. So Father, we just pray that you would truly baptize each one of us. You would fill each one of us with the Holy Spirit. And that we would truly be convicted of sin that we would be convicted of righteousness and that we would be convicted of the judgment to come. And in so doing, Lord, you would make us a witness that we would be personally ready and that we would also ready the earth for your soon coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.